Hello everyone, this is the Keenotomic bonus episode. I am your co-host Nick and joining me as always is my co-host Danny. Hello! So today, um, as I said, this is a bonus episode. Um, we are going to give you our thoughts on a film um, which has just been released in the cinemas. Um, it is one of the first films to be released wide uh, since the whole you know, pandemic thing has started. Um, so it features two men who travel through time to stop the world from ending, uh, going from one show-stopping set piece to another, with ending with an extremely ambitious final third. Yep, we are talking about Bill and Ted face the music. Oh, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, sorry, I just got to recheck my notes. No, no, no. All right, yeah, sorry, but we're actually going to be talking about uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, Tenet. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, Danny. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't um, seen Bill and Ted. I'm sorry. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Nice um, we're, we're talking about Tenet, not Bill and Ted's face the music. Um, next time. Next next time we can do the trilogy. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we're talking about Tenet. Um, before we do, um, give us a follow on Twitter, uh, at Keenotomic, and just drop us an email on our Gmail, at keenotomic at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, uh, I've got a brief synopsis about Tenet. I don't really know if you can kind of have a synopsis really for this film, but we're gonna I'm gonna give it a go. Um, armed with only one word, Tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, the protagonists journey through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. That is as vague and confusing as you'd expect from a Christopher Nolan uh uh synopsis plot synopsis so danny um before we're gonna go into spoilers um can you give us like a quick sentence about whether people should go see tenet or not so that depends on on whether people want to go to the cinema um whether they feel safe um with this um pandemic still looming I personally love going to the cinema and I went to see this in, in IMAX and I think every if anyone wants to see anything huge on the screen, yeah, go. It's it's very loud, um, it's it's big, it's got massive budget, it's it's spectacular, spectacular. I wrote a brief um spoiler free review of it um we can share it in the show notes i think it's a good i think it's a great cinematic experience narrative wise uh yeah it's well, we can, quite we confusing can we can go into Narr that in yeah we can go detail. into that narrative wise I, I can just say it's quite confusing and i think nolan is quite shrewd in the way that he, he manages to make the audience want more so you can buy another ticket and see it another time a, a second time so i think it's fair to say that nolan is trying to save cinemas worldwide with this film and remains to be seen whether he'll succeed or not uh, but i would recommend it as as a cinema experience yeah definitely go see it i'm i'm very much of the same opinion i think obviously only go if you feel safe um if not, then catch it the first chance you get when it comes out on 
Blu-ray or VOD. Um, honestly, I, 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 I was, I was blown away. Um, and it, it, it is the kind of film that does deserve to be seen on the cinema. Um, as with pretty much all of Nolan's films that I've seen in the cinema, I think it is an experience that very few directors are able to do, able to actually pull off. Um, I will go into, I said, I'm going to go into a bit more detail in my, in my actual proper review. Um, so yeah, we, 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 if you if you don't want to hear any more about the film, both of us have recommended it. So go see it if you feel safe. If not, wait six months. Uh, watch the film on 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 VOD, and then come back to this episode, and then you can hear our spoiler thoughts and um, you know, that not be spoiled. I think I think is the right is the right word really. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go to proper spoiler thoughts now. Um, so Danny, uh, you can you can kindly kick us off with uh, some spoilery filled thoughts on uh, on Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Okay. Um, so I I personally thought it was quite confusing, and I saw it come a mile away. So when when they first go to the what was it? The um, hangar, the airport hangar, and they have the sort of fight in the hallway kind of thing. Kind of reminds you of the other hallway fight scene um, in Inception. It, it, I, I kind of realized that he was fighting himself, and from then on, I was just waiting to see what exactly how he was going to get to that point. And it. It just for me, it just feels that he's trying very hard to confuse you uh, by making all these like inverted time impossibilities possible. Um, just to to distract you away from the fact that the story there's not much of a story, and I just don't. I'm tired of watching films about one or two men saving the world single-handedly. I just. I need something more than that. And I think in in a post-lockdown, post-pandemic world, we need something different, not confusing. So, can yeah. I, can I take yeah. this opportunity to say you should go see Bill and Ted face the music? Um, if I mean, Keanu Reeves is a god, and I would love to see him. I would definitely love to see him. If you're looking for a film that, you know does what you're wanting from Tenet which what what you wanted from Tenet which is a film that isn't just two men saving the world it's also about two women also saving the world um I really thoroughly recommend Bill and Ted face the music um but that that'll be the last chance I'm going to talk yeah. about that film so yeah carry, just, carry on oh no I was just going to say that it's just I think what we've learned from this pandemic is that we're best when we work together when we actually sort of millions billions of people working together to 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 stop something um not one or two or three gifted ex- extraordinary humans doing something i mean i i'm yeah i'm all up for individuality but i think in terms of saving the planet i think it takes more than one human i was just thinking last night because i rewatched all in preparation for this podcast i rewatched most of the Christopher Nolan films 
And it made me think of that scene in Dark Knight when they have the two boats of people and they want to pit them against each other and in the end both boats neither boat presses the button to sort of blow up the other boat and i think that that was one of the things that made me like christopher nolan a lot because it's it shows humanity and it's quite rare and unfortunately i find it quite rare in in, in his films i'm not saying it's inexistent i find it that it's it's quite rare but when when it does happen it's beautiful Yeah. I think um I think I think his film is very much I think his his film this film in particular is very much in a in a it's from a pre-covid world. Um it'd be very yes. interesting to see how um blockbusters in the future kind of react to this um very much in the same way that you can argue that <laughs> I'm going to go proper cliche now but the world changed on 9/11. I think the world world is going to change again, not just in gen like in how you know we live and stuff, but I also think you know definitely in terms of forms of entertainment. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens um, with the Bond franchise after Daniel Craig's era supposedly is meant to be finishing after No Time uh, No Time to Die. Um, you think about how uh, the Pierce Brosnan Bonds were in the nineties compared to daniel craig's bonds of you know the the modern era they are so much different and they owe a debt to you know the events on 9-11 and true true the blockbusters that came out after that you know talking about you know the the, the born films and i think it'd be very interesting to see how how blockbusters these big big tentpole films kind of react to to that whether we're going to see a lot more form of escapism or we're going to see a lot more I think I think I honestly I believe it's going to go a lot more into kind of escapism so we're going to, I think we we're hopefully going to see a lot more films that kind of take place or have the theme around like hope and the future rather than I wouldn't say this film is is quite dour and grim and dark but there is definitely a serious undertone to it Whereas I think, you know, the films kind of maybe in the future will be a lot more lighter. Um, whether Christopher Nolan is capable of that is a different matter entirely. Um, but I think, you know, this film is definitely from a pre, pre-COVID pre world. And it is, it is very difficult to kind of separate this film from what's going on at the moment. I just, yeah, I, I, I liked it. I really enjoyed it. I love Robert Patterson now. I think he's a great actor. I I mean one of the things about Christopher Nolan films is that you you get an incredible cast all the time, right? So you see you see these incredible actors playing against each other, and it's it, it's part of the spectacle, and I I, I really enjoy it. Uh, but I think you're right in terms of like the blockbuster films we're about to see in the future. I think it's definitely changed the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what did you what so what what did you think about the the set pieces and like the you know the Kind of like the spectacle of it all. Well, what what else is there to say? It's just that he has so much money poured into this film, and you can't you see it. There's nothing. There's there's no cutting corners. There's the the scale of it is incredible. It's spectacular. You have a mafia coast. You have a far east. You have everything there. You have was it Vietnam or wherever they filmed? They filmed all over the world. 
there's nothing there's no you know everything is big everything is just incredible it's breathtaking the landscapes are just incredible um you see him just he's a perfectionist and he's a brilliant he has a brilliant mind and it's admirable i yeah it's definitely one of those things that just blows your mind um but it's just when it comes i like details as well i like the i like more human stories not like the hugeness of it I I wanted to see more of Elizabeth Debicki's and her relationship with her son. I would have loved to, you know, more character development rather than ridiculous physics defiance. Having said that, I think I've I've read that the 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 fight scenes were actually choreographed incredibly. So I mean, definitely a lot of effort has been put into this. And it is commendable. I think it's just brilliant what he's done. Yeah, I mean, I. So for, I think I think for me, it it is. Kind of to go back a little bit, it is very very difficult for me to separate this movie with the feeling of being back in a cinema, for the first time since February, um, when I saw Birds of Prey. Um. You know, both of us have both of us said in the past that you know if we were to go back, you know it would be when we are both comfortable and for a film you know that's worth it. You know, we we both said that we needed we needed to go. What was it? Go big or go home? I think yeah. you said. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I went. I went to see it because it was one of those things I knew I I was I had expectations and they were met because it is it is incredible. It's cinematic, it's beautiful, but it's not It's not a story about, you know, humans, like regular people. It's not a story about regular people at all. No, 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 I don't, I, I mean, I don't think his films have ever really been about regular people. Um, I haven't seen, arguably, I haven't, I haven't seen his, his first independent feature following, but no, I, I have not I, seen that either, and I, I want to. From, from what I, from what I can, kind of, come together thinking about his his films from Memento onwards is that you know these films aren't about normal people. I think no, probably the closest normal we get are uh, uh, Hugh Jackman and and Christian Bale in in uh, the Prestige, which is why that's my favorite film of his. Okay. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, we both of us said that you know we do need to go big or go home, and I, you know, this is as big as I have seen Nolan go. Um, not in terms of scale, but in terms of ambition. Um, when it comes to scale, nothing compares to seeing Interstellar. Um, and but when it comes to ambition, um, he he's he's done i think he's done something truly special here so i'm I'm trying to think of like the best way to kind of discuss this film um and i don't know whether to pick apart start picking apart the plots and the mechanics or you know the actors and their performances or the direction the cinematography because i think all of it just kind of together just 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 works um it is a finely this is this film is a finely tuned machine um I think since arguably uh, 2006 with The Prestige, 
I think Christopher Nolan has kind of been on his way from a very, very good working director to somebody with an identity that when one watches a film, you can kind of see that it, it, it's solely from, from the, you know, for, as the trailers and the marketing would say, the, from the mind of Christopher Nolan. Yeah. I, I don't want to say auteur, though, because... I feel that that word that word discounts you know the efforts of all of his collaborators that he's worked with you know you're thinking about the cinematographers like uh, Wally Pfister and and Hoyt van Hoytmer uh, composers Hans Zimmer and Ludwig uh, Göransson and most importantly his editors uh, Lee Smith and Jennifer Lame uh, Lee Smith worked on on most of his films beforehand and Jennifer Lame worked on on Tenet um but I think, and, and his brother, who he writes the script with, but he didn't write this one. Jonathan Nolan didn't write this one, um, okay. uh, which is really interesting. I think, um, yeah, he worked with uh, David S. Goyer as well. Um, you know, everybody's who 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 wrote who wrote uh, everybody's favorite film, uh, Blade Trinity. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I. <laughs> I I don't want to kind of take over the review now. I mean, do you have any more thoughts? Um, um no, I think um yeah, I I I enjoyed it. It's like you said, it's 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 very ambitious. It's gorgeous looking. It's spectacular. It's big. Um, yeah, it's it's a great cinematic experience. I was going to say, if you want to latch on to any thoughts that I've come up with, and just just go for it. Um. One, of, I think one, what everybody, I mean, I think one of the main themes that Nolan goes back to is is time. Um, in Interstellar, uh, time is a resource. Um, in Inception, time is a threat. Uh, in Dunkirk, time is the plot, and I, in here, in Tenet, time is a tool. Um, and if that sounds really, if that sounds kind of confusing, I. I, I he's not I don't think he he wants to hold your hand you know the film really does lay on the exposition thick and it really it, the film and Nolan just don't want to hold your hand through it I think if if you're if you can't I think yes okay that's unfair because you know it's not an it's not an easy sit down and watch but you know I think it's like what you said you know it kind of ends up warranting a second viewing and this film doesn't hold your hand it really doesn't he's not interested in 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 just guiding you through it easily um saying that there is something really satisfying when you see all those pieces kind of click together um <laughs> which kind of bring like a funny moment happened to me in the screening um annoying moment as well so the moment just before um, John David Washington's the protagonist walks out into the reversed world or the reinverted world. So, um, you know, I think it's a Debicki's just been shot. Um, and like, you know, he's he goes into the car because he's trying, you know, he's trying to get back the was it the component from Sator from Kenneth Branagh's Sator? Sator. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like the moment where he steps out and he steps into the puddle and the puddle does its weird thing um two people got up from my row and just walked out 
And we're talking like a good two hours into the film. Like, you know, maybe just under two hours into the film, people just got up and walked out. And it was really weird. And it kind of like when I was when I got out of the film, it took me kind of like ten minutes after the film had finished to realise that these these two people just weren't on board with Nolan and weren't on board for the ride. And it re- I really struggle to kind of grasp that because why would you pay a ticket to go and watch a Christopher Nolan film if you're not prepared to go along for the ride? Surely you should be prepared by now. You know, he's made enough big feature films that even the most casual member of the public would have seen surely Inception or yeah maybe not Interstellar but you know Dunkirk was a pretty big deal when that came out you know and and you you see what do you understand what I mean yeah I do I'm just trying to, to understand what they were feeling at the time what made them just get up from their seats and just walk away because because like it was at that point where the film like I said when you see all those pieces kind of click together that was the moment you start you actually feel like the pieces are clicking together like you become more aware of oh shit so that's what's happening you know you understand what i mean and and yeah i i I, it is it is really it, it was really really strange um yeah so i mentioned in the in before we went into spoilers that you know, I think he's one of very few filmmakers that can kind of do this, or at least, you know, transporting you into a film, into a film, you know, in the cinema, like, you know, and immerse you inside of it. And I think very, very few directors can do that on, especially with a basically a free budget. I think the only directors that can do it now, um, we're talking Spielberg, Nolan and James Cameron. Um, in the past, we would have had we would have added George Lucas and Peter Jackson to that list. Um, I think Scorsese had a quite a lot of budget for The Irishman too, didn't he? Yeah, which, but, w- which went mostly on the the aging. But software. I yeah I okay so, but he he has been trying to get his um he's got one called The House of the Blue Leaves. He's been trying to get that made for for like a decade. Same with The Irishman. And, you know, like, I think Amazon have come to the rescue for that one because none of the big studios would touch it. And I think it says something that the studios, the big studios, so this is what this is, Tenet is a Warner Brothers film. They've given Christopher Nolan basically an open checkbook since The Dark Knight to go basically just do whatever the fuck you want you're gonna get the money from it whereas martin scorsese yes okay he is a fantastic director one of the greatest directors of all time and and does deserve an open checkbook won't ever get that open checkbook from a studio like warner brothers or paramount or i would say fox but they don't exist um whereas like spielberg gets that uh james cameron gets it and like I said, I think Lucas and 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 Peter Jackson were were in that list as well. I think. Do you do you, do you kind of get what I mean? Yes. Um. Obviously, you know that. You know they're all they're all men, but um, we can kind of skip over that for the for the time being. Um, there are 
I, you know, there are many, many female directors out there that do deserve the attention and the money that Christopher Nolan gets. I think if if there's one in particular that's earned, earned that, it's uh, Catherine Bigelow. Um, yeah, so this Nolan, like I said, Nolan is very much in the in he's the modern version of you know Spielberg in the eighties or Peter Jackson in the early two thousands. James Cameron through the entirety of James Cameron's career um you know he he's given a load of money and you you just you're, you're paid to see a Christopher Nolan experience and the inverted world is one that hasn't actually been seen on screen it is very very weird to kind of see a film where you think that's actually pretty original um especially in big blockbusters and it really does allow for highly inventive set pieces and a plot where if you're paying attention to it and you're on board, it really does tie itself together and kind of ends up revealing itself with no loose ends. That's kind of one of the things that really shocked me about watching, like kind of like mulling over the film that is I couldn't actually think of a loose end. I don't know if you could. I think so. I think I think it just it, it's it yeah, I just there was a few things that I just didn't make sense to me. But maybe because I'm a bit slow, I'm not as clever as you are. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Um So yeah, I think I think I said to one of my friends that only Nolan could have made this film. And I think it is it is such a perfect pairing of vision and execution. And I think with the vision, it, it really works to such an exceptional degree due to everybody working on the film kind of being on board with what's going on. As well as, you know, as I saying, for this film to kind of succeed with the audience, the audience member needs to be on board and needs to kind of just allow the film just to kind of take you in. And everybody he works with in this film understands that um you know there was a slight bit of apprehension when it was announced that Hans Zimmer wouldn't be composing the score for this because what does a Christopher Nolan film sound like without a Hans Zimmer score and we found out it sounds a lot similar to a Hans Zimmer score but Ludwig Göransson you know his his music is is utterly breathtaking and it, it does really does somehow manage to take what we expect from you know, a, a Zimmer score in a Nolan film and kind of evolves it into this kind of unique sonic experience. Um, I think some of the most some of the complaints in the past um, around Nolan films and that it's come up again with this has been like the sound experience of his films almost becomes very, very, it's almost too unbearing and uh, incomprehensible. But I'm... I think the sound mixing could, could be a bit better because everything, like the action scenes are very, very loud. And the dialogue is almost muffled. Yeah. I mean, I read somewhere that they think they, you know, way Nolan's films are sound mixed and stuff, the way he's come out and said they sound fine. I think somebody came out and said that maybe he's got some kind of hearing damage, which would, as somebody who has two perforated eardrums and gets tinnitus at least an hour every day, um, I can... I'm totally fine with how Nolan's films sound, so maybe there's something to that. 
Um, maybe I should also go see the doctor. Uh, <laughs> and I, I honestly, the, the the score. I think that the score is 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 utterly fantastic, and I'm looking forward to hearing it when it finally gets released on Spotify. I don't know if it's out yet. Um, I thought John David Washington's performance was excellent. Um, I think he brought. I thought he brought a very a real quite tangible self-awareness and control to the role of the protagonist he doesn't come across as like a james bond clone because you know you can kind of see what nolan's going for with this um he really didn't look to be overwhelmed with being the star and the focus of a big budget film you know the whole the highest profile film that he's been in that he's been the main you know star of was was uh black clansman which came out a couple I of years ago i think he did much better um, role in black clansman to be fair i think his role in black clansman you know especially the it's... spike lee film it demands more kind of character yeah i think it was more human and more like multi-layers this is just like yeah james bond but i think but he... even less than i think i think he because his name is literally called the protagonist i think he 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 does have this kind of self-awareness and like a sense of humor about him that you kind of that isn't you know a nod a nod self-humor that you kind of get from you know bond a daniel craig bond film for example like you never like you never really laugh at something that daniel craig daniel craig's bond says you always there's always like a chuckle because of something that q says or something whereas a couple times here with his reactions to a couple of things you know it, it there is there is a sense of humor there to him and i i really i really liked him as a character i really really did um his co-star uh one of his two co-stars three co-stars really um so Robert Pattinson's Neil was was brilliant. <laughs> um, I think with him and Elizabeth Debicki's cat, um, there is a real like class and sub subtlety to them, and they really kind of bring a depth to both of their characters. Um, Pattinson's out outfits were awesome, weren't they? Yep. Yeah. I love. I loved it. Um, I loved him and Elizabeth Debicki. She was brilliant. Yeah, um, you know, if if anybody hadn't seen Widows, or any if anybody had seen Widows, you'd be like knowing exactly kind of what to expect from Debicki now. You know, she is a really, really fucking good actress, and also deserves... I would recommend um, the Night Manager for who, those who haven't seen it. It's it's incredible. That's a that's the, that's the Jean Le Carre adaptation starring um, Tom Hiddleston, isn't it? Yep, 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 yep. Okay, I need to, yeah, I need to, I do need to see that. Um, when I so what I I finally got round to reading the reviews for this kind of after I've seen the film, and I was really quite surprised to see the negative, um, negative opinions of people aimed towards Kenneth Branagh's villains at all. Um, a lot of people were kind of unconvinced as Ken of Kenneth Branagh as a as a villain. I don't know if you I don't know if you found him unconvinced. And how what did you think of Sator? Um, I couldn't take him seriously to be fair because I knew he was Kenneth Branagh, 
I don't think it's his best role by a mile, but I I can always I can always believe him to be a villain because he's in my mind in real life he's a he's a bit of a villain. Um, <laughs> I'm you know for all the all the tears that he made Emma Thompson cry over the years, I think he's a villain, and it just yeah it just it just not for one second did I stop to think that this was a Russian magnate it was Kenneth Branagh being Kenneth Branagh with a Russian accent I mean I would have... um but it was I thought I, I thought that was like the, the the funniest bit of the film was him being just as hammy as he could ever be uh, I enjoyed it actually because I like ham um as I said in my previous um podcast episode um, when talking about John Barrymore so yeah, I like Ham. It was it was funny. I enjoyed it. I mean, I I didn't see it as Hammy. Um, oh I come honestly, on! I honestly, I honestly thought you know like I I I kind of did think of him as 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 trying to be quite frightening and you know with a rage inside of him, and I did kind of buy it at times. Mm. I do kind of agree that maybe there should have been a, a different actor playing the part. I think the first name that came to my mind after the film was uh, Vincent Cassell. Um, yeah, okay, he's French, but if you change yeah, the villain yeah. from a Russian to a Frenchman, you know, Vincent Cassell can definitely do that role. Um, but, you know, Nolan kind of has his cast of actors doesn't he you know michael kane shows up at one point as per um you know that was a brilliant scene it was a very very good scene as, as i was there was humor in that scene as well there was a proper yeah. humor um you know the other actors that show up i mean clements posey shows up at one point and i always love seeing her um uh, Himish Patel, who people would have, um, if you had oh, saw yeah. Danny, Danny Boyle's uh, yesterday, uh, he's he's in it. Um, one of the names that made me do a double take when the credits rolled was Aaron Taylor Johnson. Um, yeah, yeah, you didn't see him. I, it was like, is it him? Is it him? He always wears like the SWAT Kevlar shit on. Yeah, I mean, it, he's he's in the Tom Hardy role. Like, if Tom yeah. Hardy was was still, you know, if we were still with 2010 Tom Hardy, you know, that would have been the Tom Hardy role. And it was just really weird to kind of see the credits roll up and see Aaron Taylor Johnson's name. We'd be like, who the fuck was Aaron Taylor Johnson playing? Because, you know, for me, he has a very recognisable face and I couldn't place him. He was the, the, you know, the leader, team leader. Yeah, I, I got that after the fact. I was just <laughs> a bit like, really? Um, I think he's put on weight. He's looked quite bulky. Cause I, yeah, he, whenever yeah. I think of Aaron Taylor Johnson, I, I think of a skinny guy. And this guy was not skinny. He was massive. Yeah, he, he did look as though he kind of beefed up, didn't he? Yeah. Like, um... Yeah, no, I, I honestly, like, I think for me to talk about this film in more detail, I mean, in a lot more detail, and to kind of end up picking it apart, you know, it does warrant a second and third viewing, at least. Um, You know, I, I saw Inception three times in the cinema. 
Um, because the first time around, I, I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? And I feel the same with Tenet now. You know, I, I rewatch Inception now, and I'm just like, I, I, I didn't understand this the first time. That's, this this is ridiculous. And I think whereas, Inception is a better film than Tenet, to be fair. I agree. I I agree. I mean, we can we can talk about where this film stands in the Nolan canon in a minute. Um, but yeah, I I think on on a first watch and for being back in the cinema since the first time since February, you know this this will be the most satisfying highlight of the year in a year completely bereft and of of highlights. Um, it has been it has been a really really tough time twenty twenty. For a lot of people, yeah, and for film goers, yeah, okay, you know, we were able to catch up on all the TV series and you know the the films that we've been <laughs> meaning to watch, but there is nothing like going to the cinema, um, and this just proves it. I don't know. I mean, I went to see Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and I loved it slightly more than this, but that's just me. I mean, when I when I come, I mean, I I have an ongoing, you know, yearly list. I mean, on my on my letterbox for the last four years, I kind of when I see a film that's come out in in the year, I put it, I you know, I rate I rate it and I put it in a list, and then it kind of changes throughout the year. You know, I move things around and stuff. And I, I'm I'm thus far, I have this film at number three, um, because I. Okay, there's also because I haven't seen many films. You know, I've only seen like 17 films that have come out in 2020, which is, you know, when the fact that we're in September and I've only seen 17 films that have come out this year. Um, just, but the two films that are above this, which makes me feel really weird because they, they did come out this year, were, were Portrait of Lady on Fire and Parasite. Remember, yeah. Parasite won Best Picture this year. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, quite a great film. Yeah, I mean, and and it it feels like an age ago. Um, it really, really does. Um, it's kind of weird as well to have a a a summer without a summer blockbuster. Well, there there it is, Tenet. Tenet is is the twenty twenty summer blockbuster. Yeah. In in September. Well. It's still summer somewhere. <laughs> That's, okay, yeah, okay, I get it, yeah. Um, I mean, in Paris, we're still close to 30 degrees Celsius, so it's still kind of summerish. Oh, nowhere near that up in Edinburgh. Um, I think I think for me, like, you know, we, we say on an intro to a podcast that for me, you know, my area specialty is the current blockbuster age that we're living in. And it's really weird to kind of have a summer without a blockbuster, without the big Marvel film or the DC films coming out and not... Are you having withdrawal symptoms? <sighs> I on, in, in, one way, in one way, I'm really thankful that we've had this kind of time off because uh, last year we had uh, Avengers Endgame come out and then, you know, in July, uh, Spider-Man um, Far From Home came out. And then it was, I was like, I really, I'm almost too marveled out um, because like it's been a long, you know, it's been a journey across 11, you know, 11 years. And I, we need, I think we needed some time to kind of reflect on that kind of journey. 
and then it was going to be like oh in march it was it was march black widow was going to come out and then it didn't it got pushed to you know got pushed a little bit further and now it's coming out in end of october or october november um and i think i'm kind of almost thankful because it means we can kind of reflect on the marvel era that's come out it also means that we can kind of you know give us some time to say okay we're actually looking forward to like wonder woman 1984 or the the last daniel craig bond film he says with yeah. quotation that we says with quotation marks um it means that like you know we can kind of catch up on the films that we've missed or the films that we've been meaning to watch and we haven't got round to it and Whereas it's really difficult when you're what when you're consumed by the summer blockbusters to be like, oh, I missed one. I need to, you know, I need to get round to watching it, and then you end up getting caught up in other films that are coming out. Whereas this kind of enabled me to go back and be like, well, I missed this. I can actually finally get round to watching it now. Because the summer blockbuster period is very much a full on, you know, it's just one film after another um but yeah so that, that anyway that, that, i think we're, we're kind of wrapped up now on tenet <laughs> um so we're gonna move so. on we're gonna move on to something else um we're gonna we're gonna talk about <laughs> our top five christopher nolan moments now when i say christopher nolan moments i mean anything in a christopher nolan film so that can be a piece of music it could be a performance it could be a set piece it could be a piece of dialogue um because it's hard enough already to pick five isn't it danny well i i did have issues with it um having rewatched some of my favorite films um like the batman trilogy prestige memento insomnia um, I finally watched Interstellar. I've seen Inception again. Um, like you said, you're marveled out. I'm pretty much Noland out. Um, not to say that I didn't enjoy having to rewatch all these films. Uh, you always discover new things about it, about them. But yeah, picking five, only five moments was quite difficult for me. Um, you you watched Interstellar for the first time. Yes. What can we can we can we kind of do a little bit of a sidetrack? And I I really need to know your opinion on Interstellar. Well, yeah. I mean, it's hard to dislike this film. It's just it has everything in the kitchen sink thrown at you in terms of spectacular and you know tying knots in your brain and and making you you know feel very insignificant in the grander scheme of things. Um. I had a problem with it. The problem was that, you know, fuck, we fucked up this planet. Let's go find another planet. It was just like, oh, this is just gets my goat. I can't stand this. Well, this one came out in 2014. It's just that I, why can't we fix this planet? That's my problem. That is my problem. I just can't understand. We accepting the fact that we've just massively damaged our home planet. And now we have to look for solutions elsewhere instead yeah. of like stopping what we're doing and just re revisiting what we've done wrong here because i think in in history we've 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 seen that most of like 
our ancestors have done this many times before. They went to a place, they killed it off, they just basically committed echo side and just moved on to the next. We're like we're like locusts. And it just yeah, it it it, it made me feel like it's it's missing the point. Um but I just it was it was good to see for a change, even though again going back to the discussion about regular people it was good to see more of a female protagonist in this although still not quite um i love jessica chastain i'm a big fan and i think she was brilliant in this and i wanted to, i wanted to see more of her i mean don't get me wrong matthew mcconaughey did a very good job um and so did um anne hathaway but i just i wanted i wanted her to be the protagonist. I wanted Jessica to stay. Um, I did I enjoyed it. It was it was like I say, it was hard to to not be impressed by the scale and by the beauty of of the film. And the score was incredible. It was one of those things that because um, before I watched it, you told me to sort of like pay attention and just be loud, and you kind of realize why because it every time they land on a planet there's that ticking noise and it makes you understand what is going on and how time works on that planet. Oh, the, that, the, 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 the score, in, the, the, the track entitled mountains with, which is, which plays over when they, when they land on, on Miller's planet. And yeah. it turns out that, that those aren't mountains. That's a wave. I know. Um, it's just, it just, Oh my God. I, the bleakness of, of that planet, it just, made me like you know got chills down my spine yeah that, that, I mean, there, there is some there is when i when i saw interstellar in 2014 when i when i saw it in the cinema um i rated it you know i was like this i i was so angry by the ending um i thought if if nolan was really permitted to the ending he should have ended the credits with the song the power of love by huey lewis and the news Oh come um, on! <laughs> but but over the years, no. But over the years, as I've kind of gotten a bit older, I'm really on board with Interstellar. I'm really really on board with it. Um, there is kind of romanticism to to space that I I there's there's a, there's a bit where um David Oelio's character kind of is like he's having his kind of cabin fever moment where he's like you know there's only like three inches of aluminium between us and millions of miles of blackness and you know matthew mcconaughey points out that you know most of the you know yacht for most famous yachtsmen around the world can't swim you know we yeah. are explorers and I, there is a romanticism to interstellar and to exploring space that we don't see in big screen big pictures anymore the last time we saw it in not in a in a before 2014 you know we saw it in in 2015's the martian but in 2014 we hadn't really seen it properly since what ron howard's apollo 13 you know yeah. this 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 kind of romanticism of of the space you know space and 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 going out there and exploring um one of my favorite films um is a film called the right stuff um which is all about the men that kind of started off the the you know the nasa you know the mercury missions and, yeah. and uh going into apollo and and you know one of my favorite films of a couple of years ago was the documentary apollo 11 
um, which I've spoken to spoken about in the past, and I, I think it's one of the best documentaries ever made. Um, for me, there is a, there is a romanticism to to going out into space that Interstellar really really captures. And yeah, okay, you know, most of it is CGI, but it is utterly breathtaking. Some of the vistas and and seeing that on the big screen was was truly an experience that I'm not going to forget. And like you said, the score is is ups up so so good, so good. Um, so that kind of would bring us on then, I think, not quite nicely to our top five Nolan moments. Um, this is a ranked, unlike our, our unlike our Ennio Morricone list we did a couple of weeks ago, a few months, oh, last month. Um, this is a ranked list. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Danny, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do, I'm gonna do, you're gonna do your top, your fifth and I'll do my fifth and we'll go down. So, what is your fifth favourite Nolan moment? <sighs> this might change tomorrow, but here we go. Number five. I think I always get a bit choked up when I see the scene from The Prestige where Rebecca Hall says, Not today. She tells Christian Bale, Alfred... And that some days she knows he means it when he says he loves her. And some days she knows that he doesn't mean it. And when he tells her, I love you, he says, not today. And then he doesn't really understand, but then he goes with it because he knows the truth. He knows that he's not Alfred, really. It's, you know. And uh, it was one of those things that you see Rebecca Hall, Sarah, being just a woman who loves a man but knows that he, she, she knows something not not quite right but she doesn't really know the extent of it because how could you know <laughs> how could you realize that you actually living with two people not one and the, the complexity of that is just mind-blowing and I love Rebecca Hall and I love her in that film and it's I think her character is one of the few Nolan characters that is just a regular person who loves someone and yeah that's my fifth favorite okay so for number five for me I've gone for uh, a sequence which I've called the doctor isn't in from Batman uh. Begins <laughs> um so this is the I sequence. love that one this is this is the sequence where um uh dr crane kind of kidnaps and then drugs rachel Dawes in arkham asylum and then the moment where rachel, uh, dr crane or the scarecrow kind of hears the you know the goons his goons kind of hear things and you know i could have gone for the moment where we first see batman in all his glory where you know he picks tom wilkinson up and goes i'm batman but this is the moment where you get Cillian Murphy saying the Batman. I'm going to play a little audio clip of that moment because it the way he says it is so much better than anyone else in Nolan's trilogy. I think it's better than anyone else has said in the history of Batman movies. But the way Cillian Murphy just goes, the Batman, um, is oh, it's so good. And then when he gets his own you know the goons fight him off well they they try to fight batman but you 
you kind of see the mythology of Batman coming to life in this moment of being like, I heard he can fly, I heard he can do this, and, you know, that's what Batman is. You know, you hear he can do all these things, and you're not sure because he's just a guy who dresses up like a bat, and it's like, why would you do that? But he's so badass, and and Dr. Crane's like, I'm, you know, we will find out. You know, even he's not sure what the Batman does. And then he gives him, um, so Batman gives Crane a taste of his own medicine. And you see the moment where the Batman mask just turns into this blackness. And it's like, the dr almost like a, a sludge, black sludge kind of like covering this face. And it's, you know, Cillian Murphy's reaction, you know, Dr. Crane's reaction. And he reveals that Ra's al Ghul isn't dead. And it drops a major moment because you're like, oh shit, Ra's al Ghul isn't dead. And then, then he says the Doctor isn't in. And it's kind of like this perfect moment to this end, this this little sequence. Um, and it's a sequence that I really, really do love. And there's, there's not many moments in the Nolan Bat trilogy that kind of feel like they come out of a comic book. Um... You know, for films about Batman, he doesn't really do the comic booky stuff, and this is one of the few moments that does it. Comic book, um, you know, for films about Batman, he doesn't really do the comic booky stuff, and this is one of the few moments that does it. He's here. Who? The Batman. What do we do? What anyone does when a prowler comes around, call the police. You want the cops here? At this point, they can't stop us. But the Batman has a talent for disruption. Pours him outside, the police will take him down. Go. What about her? Oh, she hasn't got long. I give her a concentrated dose. The mind can only take so much. Now, go. The things they say about him. Can he really fly? I heard he can disappear. Well, we'll find out. Won't we? So, Danny, what is your number four? So, um, just to say that I, I, it was very hard for me not to pick five uh, Killian Murphy moments. Um, in this in this top five because he's just brilliant. I was in my top five in my number five. I was actually thinking of doing that. You, would you like to see my mask? When he basically drugs Tom Wilkinson, um, it's just brilliant, a brilliant scene. But for it was it was a toss between Killian Murphy and Tom Hardy. So for my number four, I went with Tom Hardy, molded um, by it speech. think darkness is your ally. You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then it was nothing to me but blinding. The shadows betray you because they belong to me.
I think it's been parodied so long enough that I had I had to go for it. I think Tom Hardy was just so brilliant as Bane, and the moment where he basically breaks Batman's back and has that speech in the sewers, um, it's just incredible to see. You basically see Batman lose a fight, and you see it lose to to this monster, and it's just incredible. It's one of those things that I really really love. Um, so yeah, I think that's my top, my number four. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because like when Bane was announced as the villain of the Dark Knight Rises, you know, every, the comic book fans were thinking that moment in the comics where Bane breaks Batman's back, and you're you're wondering how Nolan would do such a moment like that, and in the way that film is, the way that that piece is kind of choreographed is really interesting yeah you know it's done in a wide shot and you just see bane just it just completely dominates batman and it's so it's really really well done um so for number four i'm just gonna say the next three could be interchangeable could really really be interchangeable so this will change probably tomorrow um so number four i've gone with the hallway fight in inception um, so yeah. this is the fight between Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Arthur and one of his, the men from his own subconscious fighting in a zero-G hallway as Yusuf dries off a bridge in the dream level above. Um, it is, you know, Tenet was, had a film, it was a film full of inventive set pieces and this was this was a glimpse to kind of what we would then get in Tenet of an inventive set piece. Um, it really was truly something to see in the cinema. Um, and it's, it's one of those, it's one of those sequences that I never get enough of when I, when I watch Inception, I always pay attention to it. No matter how many times I've been seen Inception, I would always sit down and be, you know, proper pay attention to how that set piece is. It's, it's an utterly it's it's a brilliant set piece the whole way fight and ends with a kind of quite a horrible death to that man or the, the yeah. person in the subconscious um so yeah that's my number four uh number three danny what would what, what that be so i think for my number three it would have to be the ending sequence in memento when we i mean spoiler alert for those who haven't seen the ending in memento um it's just when you know you realize that leonard's been just been totally off and he's actually sammy and he's the he's the one who's killed his own wife and it just baffles me and it's one of those things that you never ex you know the ending but when it comes you're always surprised by it um no matter no matter no, ma no matter how many times I've watched it, it's always like, well, wow, didn't see it coming. Yeah, I love that. Oh uh, yeah, that's. I didn't actually rewatch Memento for this list, um, <gasps> because I'd seen it relatively recently and I couldn't. Memento was one of those films that really kind of annoys me as a film study student because you find film study students always go towards memento as being this you know 
There's I... a reason for that. <laughs> yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I'm not saying it's not a great film, but it's like, it's like when you, you know, you talk to a film study student or, a, you know, first year and they're like, oh yeah, Quentin Tarantino was the greatest director that ever lived. And you're just like, oh, really? Oh, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You I know. know what you mean, yeah. Please. You know, you're, just... <laughs> you're, talk, you're talking about, you know, you, you talk to an 18 year old that, you know, has just seen Donnie Darko and is like, Donnie Darko is the greatest film ever made. And you're like, okay. <laughs> okay. And you just pat, Let's talk again in five years. You just pat them on the head and you walk away. Um, <laughs> and I kind of have that kind of association with Memento. Well, I don't know. I think it's it's one of those things. It, it's it, I think it's a seminal film in in Nola's filmography, and I don't want to dismiss it because it started off this. I think if it wasn't for Memento, we wouldn't have Nolan as we know it, as we know it. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, yeah, you're right, you're right. So my number three is um, the conversation um, and that kind of whole sequence, really, between um, Heath Ledger's The Joker and Aaron Eckhart's Two-Face in the hospital. You know, I don't want there to be any hard feelings between us, Harvey. When you and uh, Rachel, Rachel! Rachel were being abducted, I was sitting in Gordon's cage. You know, I, I didn't rig those charges. Your man, your plan. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. The mob has plans. The cops have plans. Gordon's got plans. You know, they're schemers. Schemers trying to control their little worlds. I'm not a schemer. I try to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control things really are. So, when I say, uh, come here. When I say that you and your girlfriend was nothing personal, you know that I'm telling the truth. That's a good one. Um, that whole sequence where the Joker—he's in, the, you know, he's in a nurse's outfit. You know, Heath Ledger's in this nurse's outfit. Uh, they, you know, this kind of almost quite a funny moment where he takes agent off the mask. Agent of chaos. Uh, agent of chaos you know become an agent of chaos and there's this great moment where he says you know he's like a dog chasing uh a, a truck oh. you know a car you know he'd never know if you what you do if he actually caught one yeah. um and the way yeah he fledges performance um is is so so good but here you see the anger and you see the fall of grace of harvey dent um yeah. there's something always in batman comics um about harvey dent and that how he was this great man that was corrupted and kind of overcome with anger um and you see that turning point in 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 that sequence 
and then it kind of ends with with Heath Ledger blowing up the hospital and you get this great little improv moment and it was an improv moment where the hospital's blowing up and it kind of lulls a little bit and Heath Ledger stood there kind of tapping the little you know yeah the I button love that and, scene. and then it and then it blows up more and and um you know that was improv because that wasn't you know it was actually meant to be this big explosion it was taking too long and Heath Ledger did this little moment and it's like it it's so that whole little sequence is so good um like I said when I spoke about number five you don't see many comic booky moments in a Nolan film in a Nolan Batman film and this is a moment where you get two iconic comic book villains in Batman's rogues gallery talking to each other and it's such a little nerdy moment and in and, and seeing them both interact and seeing the Joker live as well due to the flip of a coin there's something quite poetic about it and yeah no I I, I love I love that moment yeah uh, number two so I think this ties up really nicely because I was at number two I was going to put like the entire performance like the entire Heat Ledger performance in, in The Dark Knight because it's just it's just incredible from start to finish. You have this incredible, incredible actor and I think to this date he's still the only actor who's ever won uh, an Oscar in a Christopher Nolan film. Yes, he is. Um, and for good reason, because he just... It, I don't know. It's one of those performances that will forever be regarded as one of the greatest performances of all time. And, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's magnificent. And But I had to choose a scene. So my choice was the uh, sort of interrogation scene where Batman asks Joker where Rachel is and... He tells him, but he tell, he basically reinverses the dresses, and he tells him where Rachel is, but it's actually where Harvey is. And it it's just, I when he says you complete me, it's just I lost it. It's just so incredible, and the whole you know fight interrogation scene is just brilliant. And then you have, I think the idea of 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 having to make a choice between two great people well because at this point harvey's still a great person um it's just it was one of the best things ever and and yeah it's just, i loved it you've changed things forever and why do you want to kill me <laughs> i don't, don't want to kill you what would i do without you go back to ripping off mob dealers no 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 no, you, you complete me. You're garbage, you kills for money. Don't talk like one of them, you're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. But when they don't, they'll cast you out. Like a leper. You see, their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. We've dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. 
I think that that sequence is really interesting as well because it the the Joker has never been a person that has in 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 any kind of medium has been a person about physical violence. He's always been the person that's you know yeah. Just, He's just he's just a madman. He doesn't have that physical violence, but he always kind of outsmarts Batman. And yeah, and Bruce moment... should have known better than to to believe him when he told him where Rachel was. He should have gone the other way. Yeah, and he's, he has this moment where you know you can see Christopher Christian Bale kind of just the rage inside of him, but Heath Ledger's just kind of laughing away because he knows yeah. that there's nothing Batman can do with all can of do. his strength and it really frustrates him. And yeah, no, that's such a great moment. It's such a great moment. moment. I really love that film. Uh, so number two for me is from Interstellar. Um, I have gone for the moment after the aforementioned mountains uh the waves so this is the moment where matthew mcconaughey and anne hathaway return to the spaceship after losing that time and matthew mcconaughey sits in front of the little screen and watches all the messages that oh, of have course built up over the years i think that's been parodied quite a lot hasn't it i has it <laughs> yeah um he starts crying doesn't he yeah um it may have it may have been memeified um probably but this it's you don't really see that kind of emotion in a christopher nolan film and the the zimmer score kind of takes over a little bit but matthew mcconaughey you just kind of concentrated on his reactions and see him you know overcome with emotion with seeing his son grow up from you know a a teenage boy to a man to a man that has lost his baby and then Jessica Tassane as Murph as a grown-up Murph shows up and she tells him that this is the moment where I am the same age as you when you left and it's a really impactful moment. I'm kind of almost tearing up a little bit just thinking about it. Um it is such an emotional moment and it's such a powerful, powerful moment. Um and in a film that is all about the exploration of space and being explorers and going into a new world, this is a moment of pure human emotion and it really does ground the film um and it, it just works it just works and it, it's my number two moment messages span 23 years play from the beginning hey dad check it in and i um finished second in school Skrillex still giving me C's, so pulled me down, but you know, second's not bad. Grandpa attended the ceremony. <laughs> um, oh, I met another girl, Dad. I, uh, I really think this is the one. Her name's Lois. Sorry, right there. <laughs> Murphy stole Grandpa's car. Crashed it. She's okay though. 
Hey, Dad. Oh, it's a good moment. It's a very, it's yeah, it's a very good moment. I, I really like that. I think that was my favorite moment from Interstellar. So we reach, we reach number one. We we really should have like the top of the pops, you know, like countdown, you know, a whole lot of love playing, and just recap mm -hmm. the top five, and then go into the top one. So at number one <laughs> this week, this week number one on top of the pops. Um, yeah, no, uh, this week uh, our top five Nolan moments. Um, number one is Danny. Right. So. I think I've said it before that the the Prestige is my favorite Christopher Nolan film, and there's a reason for that, and the reason is David Bowie. <laughs> so, so for my number one pick, I will I will choose David Bowie's entrance in the Prestige. So, this is the great Danton. Ellie has refused about your act to me on any number of occasions. Hold out other hand. What's conducting the electricity? Our bodies, Mr. Angiora, quite capable of conducting and indeed producing energy. Have you eaten, Mr. Angiora? It was just one of those moments that I will never forget. And every time I rewatch it, I get like, you know, my heart stops beating for a second. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just it just blows my mind. It not only shows how how interesting a man Tesla was. I think Tesla is just. Yeah. And it shows the acting skills of Bowie. And I don't know. It just I feel like, you know, for all the stuff that has been written about you know the, the war between tesla and, and edison i feel that casting david bowie in in tesla in the tesla role has been sort of vindicated tesla for somewhat because i think david bowie was the glue that kept this world together and i'm not going to get into what's been happening since bowie died but i think you know he was brilliant um in everything he did and that's my that's my number one pick that's a that's a really really good pick i kind of do feel a little bad not having any prestige moments in my top five um i think if i were to pick any it would in in a i think if i were to have one i mean one was on my short list which was the ending but um no that is that is a really great moment where bowie just kind of walks through the electricity <sighs> Um, so for me, number one, I've gone for, I'm not going to call it the, it is the introduction of the Joker, but it isn't from the set piece at the beginning, the bank heist at the beginning. I'm talking the moment where he walks in where Sal and the Chechnyan and Gamble are all around that table and really? the Joker walks in. And where he makes the pen disappear. And he makes the pencil disappear, the magic trick. And I thought my jokes were bad. Give me one reason why I shouldn't have my boy here pull your head off. 
How about a magic trick? I'm gonna make this pencil disappear. It's... It's gone. Oh, and by the way, the suit, it wasn't cheap. You ought to know, you bought it. Shit. I want to hear proposition. Let's wind the clocks back a year. These cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? Did your, your balls drop off? Hmm? Uh, th th there was a lot. I remember the the controversy over the casting of Heath Ledger. The guy from 10 Things I Hate About You, you know, as the Joker. The, the, the role that was so iconic for Jack Nicholson, you know, ev there was so much animosity and hatred towards it. And you don't, you don't see the Joker in that opening bank heist. You, you, know, you see his face and you see this, you know, the boy talks to William Fickner and he's like, I believe that what doesn't kill you only makes you stranger. Yeah. Um, but this moment is where the Joker truly arrives and he has this amazing purple suit and his makeup is so immaculately put together. Um, and yeah, no, it, and the way he looks, I, I notice it all the time, but he always looks at Gamble as like this little side, he has this side eye about him where he's looking at Gamble because he knows he's about to snap. Yeah. And so when you know Gamble's, you know henchman comes stands up and he's like, "I'm gonna make this pencil disappear," and slams his head on the table and he goes, "Ta-da!" Um, there is Joker theatricality, and there is a there is a pureness to Joker that Heath Ledger just captures so brilliantly in that moment. And if you weren't sold on Heath Ledger as the Joker at that moment, then you you I'm sorry you. You're an idiot. <laughs> no, um, I, I I agree. I think he was just... He was... Just to, to quote Christopher Nolan, he was fearless and it shows. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 you know, there's a great thing where, you know, I think it's the, the Chechenian says, you think you can take all our money and walk away? And he just goes, yeah. Um, and he's got the, the, the grenades and then he goes yeah. if you if you want to get me if you want to call me here's my card and he just holds up the Joker card and it's <laughs> it's it's such a great it's such a great moment I remember being sat there in the cinema in, in, in 2008 and at that moment it, it, this film went from I'm really having a good time to holy shit I'm actually seeing something truly special and you don't kind of get that very often when you watch a film in the cinema for the first time where, you know, it's usually in like in hindsight where you are letting the, where you're kind of recapping what you've just watched, where you look back and you go, wow, I actually saw something amazing. Whereas when you're watching, sat there watching a film, you're usually too wrapped up in what's going on. But I remember being sat there and seeing this Heath Ledger thing and being like, I'm actually seeing something that probably won't ever be done ever again and sadly we we never got that you know ever again but for what we did get i'm so so grateful and i think you know it, it's such a great such a great performance and yeah. it's it's my favorite nolan moment 
good moment in that too. So yeah, that that that's kind of we've, we've got our review of Tenet over and done with, and that was our top five known moments. Um, that's kind of like us done for this week's this this I don't say this week's bonus episode, but this bonus episode. Um, as with all of our bonus episodes, we have no idea when we're going to do one. Um, the next one I can kind of see on the horizon, um, that I know we're going to do one on would be David Fincher's, uh, Mank, uh, when that finally comes out. Um, I know we're definitely going to do one on that. Uh, we may probably do a top five Fincher moments, um, which is probably going to be a lot more painful than this one. Uh... I mean, seriously, I didn't, I didn't pick a Killian Murphy moment for this one, and I'm kicking myself because I love Killian Murphy. Yeah. And I was gonna go with Dunkirk when, when, when Tom Hardy lands the plane and he just looks at the sunset and it's just incredible moment. Yeah, I mean, the, so, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have, I didn't have the the fog chase scene from Insomnia, which stuck me, stuck with. I me know. So I again, I was just like, ah. Oh. You have a film with Al Pacino and Robert Williams, and it didn't make the cut. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's it is an embarrassment of riches to choose from. But don't take our top five as a definitive top five. Take it as this is what we've gone with Today. at this particular moment in time. It probably we will change in a week's time. It probably will change in a month's time. So just this is what we've gone with today. Um, and I can definitely say that when we get round to doing the the Mank episode, um, you know the Fincher one is gonna be, is gonna be something, something good. Um, that's that's gonna be harder for me definitely. Yes. So for me too. <laughs> um. So join us on um later on this week when we release our episode on Spider Man into the Spider Verse and the Red Turtle, um. So just join us, join us when that done, when that is when that is released later this week. Um, in the meantime, Danny, uh, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kino Joan, and my website is kinojoan.co.uk. Check out my tenant review. It is a very very good review. Um, I got a yeah, it was very very. It's a very very good review. Please please check it out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler and on my uh, website is superatomovision.com. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd, uh, Nick S. Chandler. You can search me on there. You should be able to find me. Um, and like I said earlier on, um, our podcast uh, Twitter is at Keenotomic and our Gmail account is Keenotomic at gmail.com. Let us know what your favourite Nolan moments are. Um, it would be really interesting to see what people think and yeah so it is a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me and a goodbye and thank you for listening from me avec leur tremolo balayé pour toujours je 